Almighty God, on this day, you open the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Spread abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel that every person, every man, woman, and child would know and receive and experience the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray, because he lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. So today is Pentecost Sunday. It is our first confirmation of faith this Sunday, both of which find their origin, their meaning, their joy in the story of God. And so in the life of the church, as we follow Jesus with grace, we pick up the story after Jesus' resurrection. And you remember what happens. After Jesus' resurrection, he spends about 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God and what it means to live in the kingdom. What it means to enjoy the kingdom. What it means to pronounce and declare and spread the kingdom in all of their spheres of influence. And Jesus reminds them that after he ascends to the right hand of the Father, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to immerse them in the personal presence of God. It's an alarming statement. And there was a long wait that Jesus told the disciples um, to, to go and to wait on this promised gift in Jerusalem. And, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit shows up, you are going to be clothed in power to be my witnesses. You are going to be clothed in power to talk to people about me, to declare my love, to declare the forgiveness of sins, to declare the joy and the hope of a restored relationship with God forever and that that proclamation is for everyone. And then, on the Feast of Pentecost, when thousands of Jewish pilgrims from all over the world are gathered in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit comes. And his appearance is amazing, it's wonderful, and words can't really accurately explain what happens, but Luke says it was something like a great wind that sounded similar to a tornado. And that when the Holy Spirit filled the disciples, 
something like flames hovered over each of their heads. It was a beautiful, amazing, miraculous, good thing when the promised Holy Spirit comes to be, to fill and to empower the people of Jesus. And so in response, the disciples leave the upper room and they go out into the streets and throughout all the festival, they start telling people about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And thousands of people respond and become baptized and the first church is begun in Jerusalem. Pentecost is the catalytic moment for the Great Commission. And so today, we celebrate the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church, the birthday of us as the family of God, the people on mission with Jesus. And what we, what we see is that what began as a relatively small Jewish and Jerusalem-based gospel community begins to expand to an all-inclusive, multi-ethnic, international gospel movement. That's Pentecost. That's today. But today's also our Confirmation of Faith Sunday. And this morning, 11, although David Perry has a fever and he couldn't be here, so pray for David, 10 baptized believers are going to make a personal and public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the word of implies, confirmation literally means to work together to make firm. And so this morning, Nate Brown and Aaron Franklin, Cameron Green, Michael Karcher, and Reed Karcher, Ty Manasco, Peyton Randolph, Sally Randolph, Mark Schur, and Meg Simmons are going to stand up here before God, before their family and their friends, and all the church to profess three things. Their renunciation of the world, the flesh, and the devil their trust in Jesus Christ as the forgiver of their sin, and their desire to follow and obey Jesus as the leader of their life. And by doing so, they are personally and publicly professing the faith that has been passed down from Jesus through the apostles in the church. And God is going to confirm the covenant that he made with them in their baptism. And based upon these affirmations and commitments, uh, the bishops are going to lay their hands on these confirmands and invite the Holy Spirit to fill them. Invite the Holy Spirit to fan into flame the gifts that he's given them for ministry. Invite the Holy Spirit to clothe them in power to be witnesses for Jesus everywhere they go, wherever they are, whoever they're with, and to commission them and their calling to participate in the life and in the mission of Jesus. This is not some kind of recent religious invention. 
This isn't uh, some kind of social rite of passage. Confirmation of faith and the assurance of the reception of the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit is seen in Scripture as the good and gracious practice of the people of God. And I want to just unpack three scriptures for you this morning to help us with the context of what God is doing here this morning and what these confirmants are doing and what we're holding up and celebrating in their lives. First, we see um, in Acts 8, the confirmation of faith and the assurance of receiving the Holy Spirit in Samaria. And what God's word says is that when the apostles in Jerusalem hear that the people of Samaria have accepted God's message, they send Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrive, they pray for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it says the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they'd they'd only been baptized. And so Peter and John lay their hands upon these believers and pray, and the believers receive the Holy Spirit. So notice what's happening here. The gospel has gone out and been spoken. People have heard and received Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And they've responded by being baptized. However, the Holy Spirit has not yet come upon them. And so the apostles pastorally go to them, lay hands upon them, and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit so that they receive the fullness of the gospel promise and life in Christ. I think it's important to notice here that receiving the Holy Spirit in this instance comes after baptism. Okay, look at Acts 10. Peter has this spiritual dream that leads him to the house of Cornelius, a non-Jewish Roman soldier living in Caesarea, the gospel spreading from Jerusalem. And what God's word said is that, is that when Peter is speaking, he's proclaiming the gospel to Cornelius and his whole household, the Holy Spirit comes upon them as they hear the message. And all of the Jews who had come with Peter are absolutely astonished because the Holy Spirit has come upon non-Jews, just as Jesus said that he would. Because the gospel was for all people, even the Gentiles. And when they, uh, Peter says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized in water. They've heard the gospel. They received Jesus as their forgiver and leader. And they've received the Holy Spirit, and so they have not yet been baptized. And so Peter says, now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, let's baptize them with water. Notice what's happening here. The gospel message goes out. It's spoken. The Holy Spirit comes. People hear and receive the message in the Holy Spirit, and then they get baptized. So in the first situation, receiving the Holy Spirit comes after baptism, but in this situation in Acts 10, receiving the Holy Spirit comes before being baptized. Okay, one more. I promise you I'm going to make a point. Another interesting uh, account takes place in Paul's third missionary journey in the city of Ephesus. Again, the gospel, the mission of the church is spreading and expanding. Acts 19, Paul finds some disciples and asks them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Has anybody ever asked you that question? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
And they answered, no. We never even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked, well, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. Remember John? And so Paul says, wait, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism to prepare people to acknowledge and receive Jesus as the Messiah. And on hearing this, they said, oh, well, we better be baptized in Jesus, not John. And so Paul places his hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. What do we see here? The gospel message is spoken. People hear and accept the Lord Jesus. But it's not the whole gospel message because the disciples don't know the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. They, they got, that part got left out for them. And so there's no condemnation for them. Paul is loving and pastoral, and he wants to make sure that they have everything that God promised for them. And so he lays hands upon them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So here, being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit comes after hearing the full gospel message that they had not yet heard. Three different accounts in the books of Acts, in the book of Acts, which really is the Acts of Jesus the acts of the Holy Spirit declaring Jesus through the life of the church. That should be the real name of the book. But what we see here um, are three essential elements of gospel mission. The first is the importance that the gospel in every case must first be shared. And that means all of us are not only commissioned to share the gospel everywhere we go, but it means that we need to continue to be equipped and trained in order to do that well. The second thing we see here is that hearing and receiving the full gospel message leads to repentance and faith, and that that's signified by the sacrament of baptism. And the third essential element of gospel mission that we see here is that receiving the promised gift of the Holy Spirit is essential. It cannot be left out. And when the reception of the Holy Spirit is left out for one reason or another, the leaders of the church very pastorally and very graciously fill in the blanks. So that God's people, wherever they are, not only have a relationship with the Father in Jesus Christ, but also through the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Those three essential elements are clear for us to live on mission with Jesus. Now, what we also see here is that people receive the Holy Spirit in different ways. How we receive the Holy Spirit varies. There is not a system to assert. There's not a formula to follow. And yet, being filled with the Holy Spirit is essential to the gospel message and to our life in Christ. And in each one of these cases, that was, um, that was handled pastorally. The apostles lovingly pursued people. 
They, they asked questions and assessed and sorted out what was missing. Was it reception of the Holy Spirit? Was it baptism? Was there a part of the gospel that wasn't completely declared? And then they graciously and lovingly and pastorally fill in the gaps. They provide what was missing so that every disciple can receive and live into the fullness of life in Christ. And that's, what, that's, what's, that's what's so important to our life together on mission. Well, as the gospel continued to spread, the church had more and more opportunities to celebrate and confirm the faith of adult believers who had been baptized as infants. And by the fifth century, confirmation of faith and the reception of the Holy Spirit became a very common, regular, normal practice in the life of the local church. And that's what we're doing today. We're upholding the apostolic practice of the church. We're putting the scriptures into practice. We're celebrating the lives of these 10 disciples who have been called and commissioned and empowered to live on mission with Jesus. And what I want us to do now is just hear their testimony. Watch this. I can't think of one specific time and place. I've kind of always been taught and I've always known that Jesus loves me and his love for me and that I love him. So I grew up in going to church with my parents and I heard all the stories of Jesus and I knew all the stories, but it wasn't until I got involved with Young Life uh, my freshman year and then I went to camp um, at Sharp Top Cove in Georgia and then I really like heard about like a really a true like personal relationship with Jesus and that like after that week I was like I'm all in like this is like what I want. Well I came to know Jesus when I was at um I was offered to go to a church with my friends for youth group and they asked me if I wanted to go so I went and the um, when I went there there's um this band playing music um like worship music and I was just doing my own thing and they started playing it just to like get the flow going and all that, um, get everything ready and all that. And um, I started crying because I realized that Jesus has been here this whole time and God has been by my side this whole time. Um, well, I've always grown up in the church and surrounded by the idea that Jesus is our savior. Um, but it wasn't until the junior, the summer of my junior year when I um, went to a camp and um, kind of made that faith my own and believed that myself. So. Most recently, um, I've seen the Lord, the Lord working in my life um, through foster care. Um, we just um, welcomed two little girls into our home a few weeks ago, and um, we've just been able to see um, God working through that process. Um, it is pretty amazing just how God has worked um, over the course of uh, these past several years uh, to get us to this point. Um, and then uh, just to bless our family um, with two little girls um, has really been uh, incredible. Um, it's definitely been challenging, um, but we've also seen um, 
just uh, the Lord's um, blessing and then also just have really felt confirmation um, that this is what we're supposed to be doing right now um, in our lives. We've also seen the Lord work through the body of Christ, which has been so cool, um, and we're super thankful um, for the way that the church has come around us to support us and encourage us. Um, I haven't had to cook since I've had these kiddos um, in the house, and we just want to say thank you. Um, and it's just uh, really um, a privilege um, to be to be part of this uh, whole process. Um, I mean, I'd love to say me and God have a great relationship. Um, I uh, I love to uh, go to youth group and really look over His Scripture and really try and understand Him better. And in day-to-day -day life, I try my best to exemplify Him and Jesus and, and the actions that I make. Um, my relationship with the Lord has definitely been grown and it's getting a lot stronger through this. Um, I've learned a lot through Brits and Robert's sermons kind of in confirmation. One thing that I've definitely learned is that um, like the relationship we have with the Lord it isn't more of like, it's more of a relationship than it is a religion. One, because it has reignited my passion for the historic church. Another reason that it is, another way that it has been encouraging is that it has um, provided more information on the accuracy of scripture and uh, how the faith has been passed down over the years, which is something that, while I believe, uh, there were a lot of questions coming into that confirmation. My biggest takeaway is that Jesus is my savior and he came and died for me. One of the things I learned in the confirmation class I was a I gained a reappreciation for the book of Genesis and the story of the original sin which I had never really been too interested in but I was really struck by the learning the lesson that God has wanted to be in relationship with us from the beginning I think it was Brick who described God as a problem solver and from the, the moment of Adam and Eve's eyes opening. He's been problem solving about how to get us back in relationship. Well, the easy the answer is just that, like, not that only everyone's telling me to, but it's just that it feels right. I don't know. I can't. I don't know how to put it into words, but it just it feels right to be confirmed. Um, being confirmed to me is just an outward sign of um, an internal change. Um, just like standing up in front of the entire church and just proclaiming what I believe. Two reasons. One is to participate in an ancient practice of the church, and the second is to reaffirm my faith after my baptism. I think it would just uh, kind of show that, you know, not only was I baptized as a baby, but I do believe in that baptism. It's not just a symbol that someone else did for me. It's something that I actively choose to agree with and say, yes, I do. I do believe. In the Bible, it says the church is the people. And the people, when they work through the church, the church grows and lives and spreads the word of God and Jesus. Um, and well, in scripture, it always says to participate in the church and uh, like donate money, as it says. But like, 
it's important to try because it will benefit yourself, but it can also benefit lots of others around you. It's important to participate in the life of the church so that I can grow in community and grow to serve the Lord. One of the things I've also learned in the church, and we've talked about it in the confirmation, is the presence of the Holy Spirit and that God is present with us in relationships here. So we can't just sort of land and run, eat and run, so to speak. Sometimes the Holy Spirit wants us to be present for others, and sometimes he wants us to receive others. And in either, either case, somebody's got to be present. So we got to be active and involved and present with each other and open.